Great Awakening. How many of you ever heard the Great Awakening before? Great Awakening occurred 1730s to 1740s. Started in Great Britain. Uh, the leaders of the Great Awakening over in England included uh, guys by the name of George Whitfield, um, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, a group of guys where, where they looked at their faith, they looked at, at the church, they looked at religion, and, and are looking around and saying, well, this has so become uh, just a cultural thing that we do. They said, when we're looking at, at church and religion and, and faith, it's, it's missing the power that we read about in the Bible. It's missing the power that you read about in the book of Acts. And they said something is wrong. And so they started reading and saying, man, what is this thing about this new birth, this new creation that the Bible talks about? And so these guys started preaching about becoming a new creation, about the new birth when you place your faith in Jesus. And thousands upon thousands of people place their faith in Christ because of this renowned dedication to the word of God. Uh, this spread into the U.S. colonies. Uh, a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards is considered uh, the, the father of the Great Awakening. Uh, in his day and age, the colonists, as we moved to the uh, U uh, Americas, uh, we moved, a lot of us moved us, like I was there. A lot of people moved to the colonies because they wanted religious freedom. But when they got here, they found prosperity. They found uh, a ton of prosperity. So they found that they no longer had a, a reliance on God for their daily need. That their, their wealth and their success led to a complacency with God. So Jonathan Edwards is looking around at the spiritual deadness of the church. He's looking around and becomes concerned that sin is just prevalent. That people just go and continue in sin. He, he became frustrated that religion was just something that people only had to mentally agree to without any effect on the heart, without any change on, on who that person was. And I love this because Jonathan Edwards is not, he's described several times, you read about him, he's not described as being a powerful speaker. He's not described as being a great orator. But in, in just check this out, in a six-month time in his church, 6,000 people came to know Christ in six months. Uh, uh, amazing. And when you look at the Great Awakening, I read this statement and I thought, man, this is just beautiful. It said that the faith and the prayers of righteous leaders were the foundation for the Great Awakening. It was the faith and the prayers of leaders that was the foundation for everything that happened in that time. Another revival, there's this Manchurian revival in China in the early 1900s. Uh, again, this is where you see some missionaries and they're looking around their ministry and saying, there's so little fruit in our ministry. There's so little transformation. There's, no, there's so little life change. There's no, there's no power like we read in the book of Acts. There's, there's, man, and, and as they're reading through, they're like, what's going on here? So they started hearing about this revival that happened, uh, this Welsh revival. They heard about this revival in Korea. And so they, so they started reading about these revivals. And they found that the, the men leading these revivals were not great leaders. They were like Jonathan Edwards. They weren't great orators. They weren't great speakers and communicators. But these were ordinary men who didn't have new and better programs. Ordinary men, the difference was how they prayed. Was how they prayed. So in China, they began to look around to see these other revivals. And they said, you know, we think that perhaps one of the keys to revival has got to be repentance. People repenting of their sins. And so in fact, there's one leader. There's one leader 
Uh, he's preparing to go on this uh, little missionary journey. He's going to go to these different towns and villages and be able to preach in the journey, preach and, and hopefully start a revival. And, and, and in that moment, he felt this tug from God. He's getting ready to go on his trip. He feels this tug from God. And, and God brings up, hey, remember that other missionary that you've got an issue with? That other missionary in you, you guys had a disagreement and there became this conflict and you guys are no longer in relationship with one another? He felt the Lord tug on him and say, if you want me to go with you, if you want me to allow these, these meetings we're going to hold to be fruitful, you need to go and make that relationship right. Missionary's like, well, God, I don't think I can do that. It's not my fault. It was his fault. He was in the wrong, God. It's not my fault to go and make it right. It's his fault. And so he said, no, God, I'm not going to do that right now. Starts going on his missionary journey, gets into the very first day. And he's up front and he's trying to teach and, and just something is off. He just, he can't communicate. Things are just broken. It's like, what's going on? And so finally, in the middle of this, he pauses. He confesses that sin amongst the crowd. He repents publicly. He makes a guarantee to everybody listening, I'm going to make this relationship right. And suddenly, and, and picture this, picture this. This guy had been in China for 20 years and prayed and prayed and longed for a single tear of repentance. And it, in that moment, the entire room rose to their feet. They broke down weeping in guilt and repentance over their sin. And that was the start of this revival that spread through China through one man's repentance. Now, I shared this last week. Man, I love reading these stories. I love hearing these stories about people where it wasn't just enough to do church. It wasn't just enough to, to add religion to their resume. It wasn't, it wasn't enough for them to show up two or three times at church and feel religious. But this, I love reading about people who sought power and presence of God. Where revival begins to take place. Where lives are encouraged. Where, where, where lives are, are strengthened. Where lives are transformed. Where, where churches cannot just make a dent, but churches actually make a difference in the communities that they're planted in. Listen, I long for this. I long for this. Because honestly, if, if we look around, is that what we see? When you look around your family... Is that what you see? Do you see transformation? Do you see the Holy Spirit's power? Do you see revival in your life? In our church, do you see that kind of transformation? The Holy Spirit's pouring out right here. Do you see that in our city? Is our city, man, as us as Christians, are we making a dent? Maybe barely? What about making a difference? I, I want that power. I, I want that transformation. I want that healing. I want our young people strengthened in their faith to go and be able to stand for what they believe in. I want this. And it doesn't come from new programs. It doesn't come from, from better sermons. It comes from an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is why we've been looking at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Because it's, it's almost a heart of desperation as the prophet prays this. He prays this. And, and hear the desperation. He says, Lord, we've heard the report about you. We stand in awe of your deeds. 
God, would you revive your work in these years? Would you make your work known in these years? God, in your wrath, would you remember mercy? Where, where he's saying, God, it's not just enough for me to, to hear about what you've done. God, I'm praying, I'm pleading with you, God. Would you revive your work in these years? Would you do these great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, this great uh, uh, show of power and, and transformation? God, would you do it right here in our time, in our story, in our church, in our city, in your family, in your life. So I'll be saying that song, do it again. God, would you do it again? Revival is not something that we schedule. It's not something that's based on a speaker. It's not based on a program. We said revival is based on conditions. That if the, if the conditions are set, this isn't a guarantee that God's going to bring revival. But if we can set the right conditions, it sets us up for, for God to show up. Last week we looked at, at prayer. We had this beautiful time of being able to come forward and be able to pray together. To pray for our church, to pray for our city, to pray and, and plead with God, God, would you do this again? The question is, how come, how come we aren't seeing revival? How come we're not seeing this outpour of the Holy Spirit? I mean, as we've talked through the Holy Spirit the last couple of weeks, how come we don't see more of the Spirit's power in our lives and it might just be because we are grieving or quenching the holy spirit what this means is that when we grieve the holy spirit this means that we we, we quench the holy spirit that the, the holy spirit is kind of like a fire and we can do things that actually put out the fire of the holy spirit in our lives this happens when we refuse to listen or respond to the holy spirit's promptings and it also happens when we have ongoing sin in our life. That when we choose to continue to sin, we choose to prevent the power of God to work through us and in us. I'm going to ask you this morning. I'm going to ask you to think about your life right now. We start talking about sin. Chances are, you know exactly what the Lord has put in your heart. What is it? What is it for you? What have you thought, you know, this is really not that big of a deal. You know, other people struggle worse than I am. This little sin is not really that big of a deal. What is it for you? What is it that you feel like you can't tell anybody because if you told somebody, you know, it would ruin you. There'd be embarrassment and shame that would come upon you. What is it for you? What is it for you that you begin to think, you know, God doesn't really care about this. This is a little thing in comparison, you know, what is it for you that you've said, God, I know this is what you say, but I'm going to choose to do it my way anyways, because my way is sure easier. An attitude, an addiction, a broken relationship where you are harboring bitterness, hatred, or anger, your stubbornness, what is it for you? So I want you to listen to this. We, we, we talked about this last week. We, we said this is one of the keys, this was the key to us becoming a people of prayer. And I actually want to go further. That I think that the key for us to being people of great faith, the key for us having a faith that is growing and becoming stronger, the key is that we become aware of two things. That if we're going to be people of great faith, we need to be constantly aware of our great need and God's great 
willingness. We need to be aware of our great need of forgiveness. We need to be aware that we have this sin nature in us. And we try and and live like we don't. Man, we're doing a disservice to our faith if we want to grow and overcome and, and see the Holy Spirit poured out on us. And if we want to be people of great faith, we've got to see our great need of forgiveness and also see that we have a God who is always willing to meet us where we are to extend grace and love and forgiveness. I know many of us, man, we don't have a great need, right? Because we have this pride. We have this pride that says, you know what? On my own, I'm good enough. I'm capable. I'm smart enough. I can rely on my own strength. I don't need God. And so we do life and marriage and parenting and relationships and we wrestle with our own demons, our own things we've got going on. And we do those things in our own strength, right? Because we're good enough. We're smart enough. We're capable enough. We can throw a little bit of religion into it, but we're good enough on our own. Listen, how's that working for you? Again, I want to ask, are you thriving Are you seeing God's power? Are you seeing God's transformation? Are you seeing this outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God doing more than you could ever imagine? Are you seeing that? Because that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. Not that we would get by, not that we would survive, but that we would thrive. That we would have his power and see his transformation. Because at best, what most of us do Most of us feel pretty confident in ourselves, so we chart our course, and at best we say, hey, God, I've made this decision. This is where I'm, God, would you bless it? God, this is what I'm going to do. God, would you just bless it, right? We're not really seeking his will or his plans or his wisdom. And we begin to wonder, well, God, God, I thought you're willing. Why aren't you showing up to bless my plans, right? It's kind of like we're driving down the road, And we face something difficult and hard, and we're like, hey, Jesus, would you take the wheel? And Jesus is like, no, get out of the driver's seat, you idiot. I belong in the driver's seat. God's like, that's my spot. You belong over here. You let me chart the course and drive the car, and you hold on and watch what I will do for you. And soon, because we're charting our course and asking God just to do what we want him to do, soon this unbelief begins to set in. We're like, God, you're not blessing what I asked you to bless. Maybe, God, you're not willing. Maybe, God, you're not strong enough. Maybe, God, you're not there. And we begin to believe that God is unwilling, when in reality, we've never really sought him. Listen, when we become aware of our great need, which includes us being honest with our sin and our need to deal with our sin, to be forgiven. When we become aware of our great need and God's great willingness, his willingness to heal, his willingness to forgive sin, his willingness to guide, his willingness to do more than we could ever imagine. That is when our faith becomes real. That is when the power of the Holy Spirit shows up. And that is when revival becomes possible. When we become a people who recognize our great need and his great willingness. In Habakkuk 3, man, this this is my prayer. This is our prayer. that, That we would set the conditions for revival and ask and say, please God, please, would you do what only you can do? Would you revive your work right here? So I said we're going to look at three conditions for revival. Condition one we looked at last week, prayer. It doesn't stop today. 
We still need to be uh, people who are seeking the power of the Holy Spirit and praying for Him. Revival also comes when we take the Word of God seriously and when there is repentance. Nehemiah, the passage that we had Nate read this morning, Nehemiah is a beautiful book. Uh, half the book is about uh, rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem and how, how uh, Nehemiah leads the people and they do this miraculous thing. They rebuild these walls. And the second half of the book, the, the second half of the book that we'd always listen to, deals with revival, deals with uh, renewal of the people of God. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, they had a six-hour worship service. Anybody got plans this afternoon? We could do it. They had a, a six-hour worship service. And listen, listen, six-hour, there wasn't a lot of music. There was a lot of the Word of God. Reading the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? I mean, we sat and listened to Nate read for seven minutes, and for some of us, we're getting antsy. What's next? What word's he going to miss up on? They read the Word of God together for six hours, and they responded with weeping. They saw their pride. They saw their tendency towards self, not towards God or towards other people. And they said, listen, we just need to obey and do what the word of God says. They, they, they didn't try and figure out, well, uh, you know, does this matter to our culture? Can we interpret this differently? No, they just said, listen, this is what God said. This is what we're going to do. And so they responded with this, this festival, festival of, uh, of booths. And Nehemiah chapter 9, this is going to be the second big service that uh, the, the people of God are going to have. In verse 3, verse 3, it says, They stood in their place and they read from the Bible. They read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. Listen, that is three hours. That is three hours that they stood and they read the word of God. And what I love, because what you're going to see in the rest of, of Nehemiah chapter 9 is you're going to see this, this, this long prayer. This is the longest prayer uh, written down in the entire Bible. And if you read it, it'll take you six and a half minutes. Nate will tell you that. He'll, he, he tested it out. Longest in the Bible. And what you're going to see is in this prayer, starts in verse 6, is you're going to see these people as they've just heard the word of God read for them for, for three hours and six hours a day before. They, they, they've heard the word of God. This prayer is them recounting the story of God, the story of God's people. They're going to recount the message of the Bible. And what I love about it is you're going to hear them talking about the same things we're talking about. You're going to hear them say, as I read the word of God, it comes back to two things, my great need and God's great willingness. Let's just look at this prayer together. Verse 6 starts out, and they say, uh, God, you alone are our God. You made heaven and earth and all that is in it. You preserve it, and the host of heaven worships you. They're saying, there's one God that we worship. There's one God. There's not a God of the sky. There's not a God of the sea. There's not a God of the land. There's one God, and that God reigns above all, rules over all. Verse 7 and 8, this is the beginning of, of man's relationship with God, and I want you to listen to the emphasis that, that they're, saying. they're saying. They're saying, you, God, you chose Abram. You, you brought him out of Ur. You, you made a covenant with him. You, you promised to, you gave him the promised land. God, you kept your promises. Do you hear who the key player in that story is? It's God. 
God did these things. The foundation of their relationship, the foundation of our relationship with God is not us being so good. It's not us being so worthy. It's not us being so awesome that God would want to accept us. The foundation of our relationship is that God chooses you. God seeks you out. God chooses to set his love and his grace on you and promises to be with you. And at this point forward, we're going to read through this story. We're going to read through this prayer. And I want, you, I want you to listen. I want you to find yourself in this story. I don't want you to read the story and think about, well, this is all the, you know, the old dead people that had died long. I want you to read and hear this and find yourself in this story. When you read the terms uh, we, us, are, change that to you and me. We, us, me. We are stubborn. We are prideful. We turn our back on God. And listen to the response from God. Verse, verse 9. God's people are in slavery. They're in oppression in Egypt. You can read the story in the book of Exodus. Uh, they're in oppression in Egypt. Uh, some of you, you know what oppression is. Some of you, when you look at your life and you start thinking about the sin and, and the things you deal with in your life, you know what it looks like to live in oppression in your workplace, in your family, in your world. And it said that God saw their oppression. God heard their cries. God heard that, and God does signs and wonders amongst Pharaoh, and God parted the Red Sea and allowed God's people to walk across the Red Sea on dry land in the middle of the sea, and God led them by day with a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire. And you see this, that, that in our brokenness, in their brokenness, God shows up, and God is willing to meet us in their brokenness, to bring them out of that, to bring them out of oppression, and to lead and guide them. Verse 13, it goes further. That God gives them ordinances, gives them instructions and statutes and commands. He gave them the word of God. He gave them this book right here. And sometimes we look at this book and we think, well, man, why did God give this to us? See, the word of God, the Bible is not something that we uh, obey out of fear. Because, well, if I don't obey the Bible, then God's going to damn me to hell. God's going to give me cancer. Bad things are going to happen. We don't obey the Bible out of fear. The Bible was given to us uh, in love. It's like guardrails. It's like guardrails where God is saying, listen, listen, if you want to live life, the best life, this is how you need to live within these parameters. That God in his love and his mercy said, listen, this is how life is best lived. He's not, God's word is not created to rob us of life. It's created to, to give us a better life. That in love, God says, listen, if we do what this says, that's how life works best. Given in grace and mercy. So here's what God's done. They're in oppression in Egypt. They're slaves, and God leads them out, does all these miracle things. And look at verse 16. Despite all of that, they and our fathers and you and me and us, we act arrogantly. We are stiff-necked. We refuse to listen. And it says they appointed a leader to take them back to slavery in Egypt. 
God's done so much for them. God shows up, does all these miraculous things for them, and just like us, aren't they a little stubborn? Aren't they a little bit of saying, I'm smart enough to, to trust myself. I can do what I want. I know what's best for me. I, I want freedom. I don't want to follow what God says. I want to do things according to my own thoughts and my own plans. And the story says it leads them right back into brokenness. Do you see their great need? Do you see our great need? That God does these miraculous things for us. God does all these amazing things. And we go right back to the stuff that we left. Do you see your great need? Not just for power. Not just for the Holy Spirit's presence. Do you see your great need to deal with our sin issue? Verse 17. After that. After we acted arrogantly and stiff-necked. And refuse to listen. It says, you are a forgiving God, a gracious God, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And you, God, will not abandon us. He says, you actually continue to lead us and to guide us. You sent your spirit to guide us. That you provided food for us and water for us while we're under the wilderness for 40 years. God, you continue to provide for us day in and day out. And not only that, but you led us into the promised land. You gave us the land that you promised. You drove out the inhabitants. You allowed Israel to become a great nation. Again, here's where I want you to see, like, like, like humanity's great need and God's great willingness. That God's people, they turn their back on him. They're smart enough to figure out on their own. They're going back to the places they, 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 they left that God brought them out of. And God is gracious and shows up and says, hey, I'm still going to take you to this place, I promise. I'm not going to abandon you. But then there's verse 26. This is a story. Again, they're disobedient. They rebelled. They killed the prophets. They turned their backs against God. Again, in their own wisdom, hey, we're smart enough. We're good enough to do things on our own. We can live life according to our own way. Turn our back against God. And what's crazy is God lets us do that. You ever notice that? You ever notice how God doesn't force us to follow him? And so God does this amazing thing for us. God, God leads these people into the promised land. And what do they do? They turn their backs. And God lets them. And God does these things for us, and we just turn our right back on him. Sorry, God, I'm going to do things my I know you did this amazing thing here, but I'm going to go back and, and do things my own way. And God loves us. And some of us, we understand the consequences from that. Some of us have been living in those consequences of when we turn our back against God. Verse 27, though. It says, in their time of distress... They cried out, and God, in his abundance of compassion, he sends them deliverers, he sends them rescuers, uh, judges who are able to rescue them from the power of the enemy. You see in the story of our great need, of us turning against God and God's willingness to show up again and again and again, it happens again, verse 28, as soon as they had relief, they did evil again. Uh, uh, man, isn't this the way it happens for us? We're, we're, we're living our life, and God, now I'm in trouble. God, I need you to bail me out. God bails us out, and as soon as he bails us out, we're like, all right, I'm done. I'm going back to over here. Going back to my own ways. 
How many of this is this is your story? Man. As soon as they had relief, they did evil again. Verse 29, it says, God loves them so much that God warns them. God warns them, but they turn their back again in arrogance. They choose not to obey. They choose to sin against God. Verse 30, I love this. It says that, that God is, is patient for years. Some of you, God has been patient with you for years. He's been patiently waiting to see if you will turn back to him. That God is patient for years, leaving them to suffer the consequences. But there's also that promise that says, he will not completely destroy you. He will not abandon you because he is still a gracious and compassionate God. Verse 33, kind of the summary of this whole story is they're, they're articulating what they read from the word of God. They say, God, you've been faithful and we have been wicked. Again, when you read the word of, word of God, you're going to see this constantly revealing these two things. That as you read the word of God, you constantly see our great need of God, of grace, of forgiveness, of power. You constantly see God's great willingness. No matter how many times we turn our back on him, he is right there, gracious and will, willing to forgive. This is a story. Uh, of, uh, this is a story of the Bible. This is a pattern of humanity. This is the pattern of our lives. God is gracious and willing, but we still choose to rely on ourselves. We still think that we're good enough. We still think, hey, you know what? Choosing to sin and rebel, it's just kind of fun. I kind of like doing this. And we find ourselves over our head. We find ourselves trying to live a, a rat race, trying to succeed. We're not thriving. There's no power. There's no transformation. But the story goes that God is right there, willing and able to forgive, to redeem, to res rescue, to restore, to pour out his spirit. You know what happened after this happened? Nehemiah chapter 9, they read the Bible together for three hours. They read the Bible together for three hours. They, they are convicted of their sin. And verse 3 says it spent, they, they spent another fourth of the day, another three hours in confession and worship. Three hours in confession of sin. Confessing that they trust themselves and not God. Confession of the areas that they are not believing that God is who he says he is confession and then worship worship of a God who forgives who loves who gives grace and mercy and the God who redeems and the God who restores and the God who pours out in power and pours out freedom on God's people they spent three hours confessing their great need and God's great willingness listen why is why is confession so hard for us just be honest, why is confession so hard for us? I would say our culture, and that even goes into church culture, is we place a lot of opinion on, we place a lot of weight on what other people's opinion of us is, right? Well, I can't acknowledge that I'm struggling with this because then somebody would judge me. Somebody would think less of me. 
Somebody would think I'm not as, as mature or strong or good or whatever it happens to be. And other people's opinions carry a lot of weight in our lives, if we're going to be honest. Let me ask you again. I've asked this a time. How's that working for us? Are we experiencing God's power? Are we experiencing God's transformation? Are we seeing the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives? See, if we could learn to get over ourselves, to humble ourselves, to see our need, to be willing to confess our brokenness, to confess our unbelief. Listen, I believe that God would pour out his spirit in droves. It happened in scripture. It's happened in history. Why couldn't it happen with us? I know some of you are like, well, I don't need to confess it. I'm just going to take care of my sin on my own. I'll just deal with it myself. And that's the exact reason why you miss out on God's power, why you miss out on even the point of faith. Because if we would be honest with our great need, if we could be honest with our, 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 our brokenness and our need for grace, listen, I believe we could experience God's great willingness to forgive us and to redeem us. At some point, at some point for those of us in here, God's power and transformation has got to become more important than the, what other people think about us. At some point in here, at some point for us, who God is and what he says has got to become more important than what we concern about what other people think about us. That in desperation that we would humble ourselves and trust God to do more than we could ever imagine in our families, in our church, in our city. Let me just ask you, what is God convicting you of right now? What is that thing that you've been wrestling with, holding on to, struggling with? What is that sin for you? Listen, the Bible doesn't give us a list of sins. Our faith is not a list of things we do and we don't do. The Bible does describe sin. Listen, I'm going to read some of these. Do any of these describe your life? Do you worship anything other than God? Do you find your identity in anything other than God? Are you suffering from idolatry? Are you place things and you seek things above God? Have you been misusing God's name? Dishonoring your parents? Sexual immorality, lust, pornography, stealing, lying, jealousy, outbursts of anger, hatred, drunkenness, greed, unholy, profane talk. What is that sin for you? What is that thing in your life that God is convicting you of right now? In fact, James chapter 4 verse 17 changes the idea of sin a little bit and says, if you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it, that itself is sin. What is God convicting you of right now? Listen, I'll be honest, my prayer this whole week, my prayer this whole week is that every one of us would feel the Lord's conviction that we would sit in our seats and be uncomfortable in our sin. Not because we fear judgment, but because we see our need and we believe what God's word says, that God is willing, that God has this great willingness to forgive and to redeem and to pour out a spirit. Listen, I'm desperate for us to experience the Lord's power. Listen, we don't need 
better knowledge. We don't need more knowledge. We don't need more sermons. We don't need better sermons. We don't need new programs. You don't need a stronger leader. What we need is to humble ourselves before the Lord. To see our great need and know that God is willing. And then like the people in Israel, just to, to do what God says to do. Just to obey. Listen, I, I wrote some of these down. Here's what God says to do. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has much power. Proverbs 28.13, here's what God's word says. The one who conceals his sin does not prosper. Whoever confesses finds mercy. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, here's what God's word says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, that God will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin and he will heal our land. Listen, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that God's word doesn't ask us to do. I'm going to invite us to do what God says to do, and that's to confess our sins one to another. In just a minute, I'm going to have our, uh, a couple leaders come forward, and we're going to do this as a response today. I'm going to ask you to respond in two ways. I'm going to ask you to come up to find one of our leaders. I ask you to get that sin out there. Listen, our leaders, we don't forgive your sins. We're not going to we're not God. But if this is what Scripture says, that we confess our sins one to another, man, why don't we just do what God's Word says? I'm going to ask you to come up. I'm going to ask you to, to, to confess that sin. and have one of our leaders just pray over you. Pray that you would experience God's willingness, that you would experience His grace and His forgiveness. Confess what the Lord puts on your heart. Listen, I recognize for some of you this is a huge step of faith. This is a huge step of faith. Again, I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'm asking us to do what God says to do. Confess. Allow someone to pray over you and experience forgiveness. Confess and pray that the Lord would show up, that the Lord would be present in your life and forgive and redeem. Listen, when you come forward... Don't, don't come forward and be general. Well, I, I struggle with sin. Now, what is that? Be specific. I figured, hey, one of the things I should do, I'll set the example. So here's me. As I wrestle with, where am I at? Man, I'm tired of holding on to anger. I'm tired of when someone I feel wrongs me. You know how good I am at holding a grudge? Holding it against that person? I'll be the first to confess that to you. I'll be the first to say, man, I know the Lord has been working on me on this issue. I'm going to confess that to you today. I'm going to confess. The other thing I always find myself doing is, is I find myself not allowing my identity to be flowing out of who God is, but I allow other people's opinions to matter way too much. That I need people's approval to, to make me valuable or worth something. That's a, this is my confession. 
I know some of you are here and you're like, you know what? I'll deal with this later. I'll deal with this later. Listen, I'm telling you, don't wait. Don't wait because what happens, at least from my nature, is if I say I'm going to postpone dealing with this, I'll deal with it later, soon enough, I'm going to set it to the side. I'm not going to feel that moment and I'm just going to let it be swept under the carpet. I'm going to miss out on what God has for me because I'm going to say I'll deal with it later. No, I'm asking you, let's deal with it today. Don't wait. Let's get it taken care of today. Listen, maybe for you, maybe it's not like, man, my, there's a specific sin I'm dealing with. Maybe you're like, my life is just a struggle. It's out of control. Man, let's pray with, let's pray with you over that. Let's pray that God would show up and do something. Maybe for you, maybe you've got some, some broken relationship. Maybe you're like that missionary where maybe there's a broken relationship. Maybe it's your fault or not. But you know there's that broken relationship. You know there's bitterness. You know that it affects you. Maybe for you it's finding that person, if they're in this room and saying, hey, would you come up and pray with me? We need to get this settled. Maybe for you it's, hey, I need to call this person this week because I know that there's this broken relationship and I know I need to do what I can to make it right. Well, let me just, let me just say, I know that, I'll throw this warning out. I know that this, is a step of faith for many of us. We haven't done this. We don't know what this looks like. Almost one of those things where it's kind of it's embarrassing to come forward, right? It's embarrassing. I got to go and, and, and it's easier for me to hide my sin and think, you know what? Nobody knows about this. This is just my secret sin. Nobody else has to know that I'm dealing with this. And I'm not going to go forward because I don't want anyone else to know. Listen, there's a Church is a family. We are in this together. There's a story in Joshua chapter 7, the story of Achan. This is a dude who, who sinned, who disobeyed God. He hid his sin from everybody else. No one else knew about it. But he grieved the Holy Spirit. And the army of Israel suffered this major loss because God wouldn't bless the group of people based on one man's sin. Listen, how many of you want to have that on your back? I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but I'm trying to say, hey, let's, let's do what God says to do. Let's confess our sin and let's experience God's grace. I love this place. I love the fact that I get to be in relationship with you. But I don't want us just to survive. I want us to thrive. But I want what Habakkuk said. I don't want to just hear about these great revivals, about these times that God did these amazing things amongst God's people. I want to experience that. I want God to re revive his work right here. I want to experience that transformation, that revival. And listen, I want the revival not just for me. I want it for you. I want it for your life. I want it for your family. I want it for your future. I want it for your children. I want God to, to give you that revival that your whole existence would change because of what God has done. So don't let fear or embarrassment or anything else stop you. Let's just do it. Do what God says to do. Last thing. It's got to start with someone. Begin to think through on 
Someone's got to break the ice. I think the story that I came to was the story of the woman caught in adultery. And all the people are there with stones, getting ready to stone her. Remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, the one without sin can cast the first stone. Who were the people that dropped their stone first? We begin to think, well, that's all those immature people. All those people with all the problems in their lives, they should be the first. No, I think actually, the deeper I go in Christ, the more I'm aware of my great need. I think the person to break the ice is that person who's mature their faith and says, you know what? I recognize this. I'm in need just as anybody else. Listen, if you are a guest with us today, listen, you are loved. You are welcomed here. Today's something a little different we're doing. You are welcome to stay in your seat and pray. You're welcome to stand and sing with the worship team. I hope that you will be encouraged today. I hope you're encouraged by seeing us being a group that takes what God says seriously. I'm going to ask our leaders to come forward. I'm going to pray for you. During these next couple, next couple minutes, I'm going to invite you to respond how the Lord has led you.